they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves, the early Christians, to prayer because they knew that that's how they were able to fetch supernatural power from God. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 4, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, here's a a couple of dictionary definitions of, of devotion. To persist obstinately. To persevere and not to faint. Whenever I think of that word devotion, I, I can't help thinking of, a, of an Olympic swimmer who day in, day out, relentlessly keeps to their training regime. I don't know, the mornings that they do, the nights, the, the diet, the exercise, because at every cost they want to be able to win the prize at the Olympics. That's That's devotion. That's the picture I have of devotion. The problem, according to Leonard Ravenhill, for us is that much of our praying is like the boy who rings the doorbell but then runs away before the door's opened. Giving up too soon. A Derek Thomas says, Nowhere does the devil work more arduously or successfully in the lives of many Christians than in prayer. Or more correctly, their lack of it. A thousand excuses can be found to ease the conscience from guilt for the lack of prayer. Too busy to do family devotions. The midweek prayer meeting is on the wrong day or it's too far for us to get there. Nowhere does the devil work more arduously or successfully in the lives of Christians than in prayer because he knows that's where we get strength. To live for him. Well, Acts chapter 2, the first reading shows us that they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 4 shows us that they prayed and and how they prayed. And and I want to go through that passage with you, Acts chapter 4. And and what we're going to see in Acts 4, I hope you'll have it in front of you, verses 23 to 31, um, are three things. First, we're going to see the cause for prayer in verse 23. Uh, Then we're going to see the character of prayer in verses 24 to 30. And then finally, we're going to see the consequence of prayer in verse 31. So the cause for prayer is this, friends, in verse 23, an impossible situation. The cause for prayer is an impossible situation. Uh, Verse 23 says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their town, uh, to their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So here's what happened, right? In chapter 3, they were walking along and a crippled beggar called out to them and and was begging and asking for money. And and you know the story, some of you. Peter and John stood up and they said, Gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And this crippled man, he crippled beggar, he stood up and walked and the crowd saw it and they were absolutely amazed. And then so Peter and John started to proclaim Jesus, that he's the healer, that he's the saviour. But then in verse... uh, 1 of chapter 3, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John, seized them and put them in jail until the next day. 
And then the next day when they let them out, in verse 18, they commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So on one hand, Jesus has commanded them to go and make disciples of all nations and to proclaim the name of Jesus. And now on the other hand, they've been commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus and they've been put in prison of all things to prove the point. This is an impossible situation. So friends, what's your impossible situation? Is it potentially your children or your grandchildren far from God? I want to to give you three things that feel like impossible situations as I, in my context, but in our context at St. Philip's. The first two are statistics. The first statistic is this. 70% of Australian kids who grow up in the church will leave. That's a fact. Brand new research. Uh, We've known it for a long time anyway. If you want me to show you the graphs and the data and how comprehensive it is, uh, I'm happy to do so. 70% of Australian kids who grow up in the church will leave. That, to me, is an impossible situation. So I want you to picture all of the beautiful kids who were down here at the front uh, before. 70% of kids who grew up in the church in Australia will leave. We praise God that they're here, but we've got some looming statistics. Please don't think that that won't happen to us. It has, it is, and it can That's an impossible situation. Impossible situation number two from where I stand. So there are 2,018 to 35-year-olds, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, living in Cottesloe. There's 2,000 of them. Uh, And at St Philip's, guess how many we have who come regularly? 18 to 35. We're talking about a big age bracket, right? We're talking, what's that? My maths is, is that 17 years? Uh, Two. There's two of them here, St Philip's. Pretty sure we're the only church in Cottesloe, at least on this side of the the highway. 2,000 of them living in in Cottesloe. That, to me, is an impossible situation. And thirdly, uh, most of the schools in this area are hardened to the gospel, even though they have a Christian foundation, uh, even though they were founded by Christian Christian schools, whether it's Anglican, whether it's Presbyterian, whether it's uh, Methodist, They're mostly hardened to the gospel. We had an opportunity open up in one of the schools last year. We were going to go in and share Jesus with the kids. And then like that, bang, it got shut down on us. We don't get to go in and share Jesus with the girls at that school uh, anymore. What's your impossible situation? Well, in in verse 24, what did they do with their impossible situation? Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's their response to their impossible situation, raising their voices together in prayer to God. Uh, When I was at Ridley, my evangelism lecturer uh, said to the class, "Um, I want you to think of the person in your life who is least likely to come to Jesus. And I want you to commit now to pray for them until they do. Because if God can save you, then he can save them. Because you are just as dead in your sins when you are outside of Christ as they are in their sins outside of Christ. So pray for them. And so I did. I decided to pray for John. Now John's favourite things in the world were uh, death metal, 
uh, playing his seven-string guitar, uh, drinking bourbon and smoking cigarettes. And I thought of all my friends and I thought, John is the best candidate for the person who's least likely to come to the Lord. I'm going to pray for him. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, year in, year out, and I faltered. I forgot, of course, many times, and then I remembered, but nothing happened. The cause for prayer is a hopeless situation. Nothing happened. Uh, I want to tell you about another girl called Sarah who came to our youth group. She, she was at the uh, local high school across the road and, and the school chaplain had, um, uh, had referred her uh, to us. And, um, and, and Sarah had a really hard life. She was um, uh, abandoned in Fiji by her parents. She was adopted in Australia by um, terribly abusive parents and she was really miserable. She came to our youth group. She heard about Jesus but it all just seemed to go in one ear uh, and out the other and then after a while she left. Hadn't given her life to Christ. Or I want to tell you about Mark, who was, who was a similar guy. He was at the high school too, and uh, he was bullied and, and bashed and beaten up at the school. And, and he was referred to me by the chaplain, and there was a sort of a mentoring program, and I mentored him uh, for, for years. And, and then his, his mum was sort of critical and dying, and he was totally uninterested in Jesus. He started coming to youth group. He came to camps. He, he heard about the Lord Jesus. But it all just went in one ear and out the other, and... And then eventually they had to move to the country. They couldn't afford to live where we were. And, and that was it. Well, the cause for prayer is an impossible situation. How many of you know people like that? It seems like an impossible situation. Well, the cause for prayer is an impossible situation. Hudson Taylor, I shared this a few weeks ago. I've got it up on my wall. I just found it such a beautiful truth. He said, there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. And then it's done. So the cause for prayer is an impossible situation. Verse 23. Now, let's look at the character of prayer from verse 24. Because Peter and John have been arrested, threatened, released, and then this is how they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Do you see how they start their prayer by focusing on God, sovereign over the world, creator of the world, majestic and powerful? They, they begin their prayers by, by reorienting themselves to the grandness of God. Instead of focusing on their, their problem, which was big, they focus on God and that's where they begin to get perspective on the issue. Because often when we focus on the problem, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But as we focus on God and remind ourselves of the truth of him, then we see him in proper perspective and we see the problem in proper perspective. And so they start by focusing on God. But they were also fervent in spirit. If you look at verse 24, it says, they raised their voices together in prayer. This was not some dry, boring, sleepy prayer meeting. This was fervent in spirit. They raised their voices together, longing for the inbreaking of God's kingdom, longing for the inbreaking of God's kingdom into their impossible situation. 
gathering together to pray for God's inbreaking. Leonard Ravenhill's written a book called Why Revival Tarries. He says, Revival tarries because we lack urgency in prayer. We do not, do not even get a sweat on our souls, as Luther put it. We pray with a take it or leave it attitude. We pray chance prayers. We offer that which costs us nothing. We've not even strong desire. We are rather fitful, moody, and spasmodic. But not these early Christians. They raised their voices together. They were fervent in spirit. Focused on God, fervent in spirit. And I want you to see in verses 25 to 28 that their prayer was filled with scripture. I don't know if you notice, but they quote Psalm 2 in that uh, prayer that they make. And what they're doing is they're trying to see their situation from God's perspective and from a biblical perspective. Because you see, through a human lens, it was, it was us against them, the authorities, the Sadducees and the, and the guards. But uh, from a biblical perspective, as they thought about Psalm 2, they, they actually saw, no, actually, they're not opposing us, they're opposing God. We say it every week, we're the body of Christ. And so what they're actually opposing is, is the Lord Jesus himself because we're the body of Christ. And so they see, look, Lord, these people are opposing you and your king. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you believe that? Do you realize that? I tell you what, the devil certainly hopes not, because then you won't go to God in prayer. It's so hard for us as Westerners to have this biblical worldview of our our situation. We're so naturalistic, so materialistic, that we easily fall out of this perspective on what's actually happening, that a spiritual battle is raging and the devil is all the happy for it that we don't know, we don't see, we don't believe. One of the things, verses I just love to quote and remind myself as we try to build a fledgling youth ministry here that we hope will reach many people for Jesus and that we hope that these young people will, will not walk away and then they'll stay with Jesus and that they'll bring other people to Jesus is from a psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. In Zechariah it says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, how we need his strength. Samuel Chadwick said, it takes us long to learn that prayer is more important than organization, more powerful than armies, more influential than wealth, wealth, and mightier than all learning. Oh, that by his spirit we would learn that lesson today and be refreshed and full of faith at the power of prayer. Charles Spurgeon, at one point, um, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. He um, was, was sort of a bit despondent and discouraged at the, at the declining attendance at his prayer meeting, uh, at weekly prayer meeting at church. And so he wrote to his congregation and said, We shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. 
Friends, it just can't happen without prayer, without the Spirit of God and the power of God. So the prayer was focused on God. It was fervent in spirit. It was filled with Scripture, which, by the way, is the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6. And it was fearless in asking, verse 29 and 30. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were fearless in asking. Now, I've got a $20 Woolworths voucher here. uh, And it's free to anyone who would come and get it. What's your name, my friend? Cameron. Cameron. Let's give it up for Cameron. You can take it with you. What did Cameron have to do to receive the voucher? What did, what did he have to do? I, I want to I I take you through what, what, what had to happen for him to, to receive the voucher. He had to believe that the voucher was real, that I, that, I, that I was actually making a genuine offer. You'll find out when you get there. <laughs> um, he had to believe that I was really going give it, to give it to him. And of course, then he had to get out of his chair come forward and actually get it. But it's still not done there. It's just a useless bit of paper until he goes to the shop, keys in the voucher code or scans it and uses his $20. You'll find out when you get there. (laughs) Well, prayer is a lot like that. We've got to put it to work. We've got to get up out of our chair or on our knees and make it work. We've got to lay hold of it. It's like a blank check. Ravenhill says God has nothing more to give the world. He gave his only begotten son for sinners. He gave the Bible for everyone. He gave the Holy Spirit to convict the world and equip the church. But what good is a checkbook if the check remains unsigned? We've got to cash in on the power of prayer. In James, we're admonished, hear the word of the Lord. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You've got to cash in on the power of prayer. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, I've just quoted him, said, prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty powers of divine pow- mighty wonders of divine power and grace... Wrought in places of weakness, failure, and disappointment. Dear friends, bring in your minds your places of weakness, failure, and disappointment. If we want to see mighty powers of divine, uh, wonders of divine power and grace in those places, let us answer God's standing challenge in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you. Dear friends, call to him, and he will answer you. Their prayer was focused on God. 
fervent in spirit, filled with scripture, fearless in asking. So we've seen the cause of prayer, an impossible situation. We've seen the character of prayer. And now we'll look at the consequence of prayer in verse 31. It says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. He answered their prayer. God answers prayer. Who, who would have thought? He, they asked them for boldness and that the word of God would spread and that he would move in power and he answered their prayer. Isn't he faithful? Isn't he good? Isn't he powerful? He answered their prayer. That's the consequence of prayer. Ravenhill says, just as in atomic energy, modern scientists have have touched a new dimension of power, so the church has to rediscover the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit to smite iniquity of this sin-soaked age and to shatter the complacency of slumbering saints. Something is really needed. God answered their prayer. God answers our prayers. And so we've seen the cause of prayer, the character of prayer, and the consequence of prayer. So, so how do we apply a passage like this one? Well, firstly, you need to plan to pray. You, you need to plan to pray. You know how your diary gets filled? Even when you plan it, it gets knocked out. Well, well you need to plan to pray. It's not in my diary, but, but it's, it's the absolute bedrock of my day. You've got to plan to do it. Don Carson says, much praying is not done because we don't plan to pray. We don't drift into spiritual life. We don't drift into disciplined prayer. We won't grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. That, that's a devotion, right? If an Olympic swimmer goes, oh, I'll train when I feel like it. No, that's not how it works. You devote to it, rain, hail or shine. You make it happen because you want the prize. In this case, God's kingdom coming and his will being done. You've got to plan to pray. Second, please pray for your leaders. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Paul often asks for prayer for his work. Pray for those who have the special ministry of, of spreading God's word, preaching God's word. And pray for you as you do so as well. The Apostle Paul constantly asked people to pray for him. I've got this quote about it. It says, units of prayer combined like drops of water make an ocean which defies resistance. So Paul, with his apprehension of spiritual dynamics, determined to make his ministry as impressive, as eternal, as irresistible as the ocean. How? By gathering scattered units of prayer and precipitating them on his ministry. You know, the first thing that I said when I got here was, please pray for me. Colossians 4, Paul's prayer. Pray that God opens a door for the gospel and pray that I may proclaim it clearly that we should. How wonderful to hear answered prayers of four people giving their lives to Jesus on last Sunday through the ministry of the gospel and the prayer of the saints. Prayer is powerful. We need to pray. That's the second thing. 
Thirdly, gather together. Come along to our prayer meetings or start a prayer meeting of your own. I know that uh, some of you are in prayer meetings. Keep doing it. But come along to ours as well. Or, uh, so we pray three times a week during the week. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right here at 9 a.m. We'd love to, it's open to everyone. We'd love you to be here. And we'd love you to join us. We'd love to see it double, triple, quad, quadruple. Uh, because it's the powerhouse of this church. Let me guarantee you. Every fourth Sunday at 5 p.m. we gather here on the other side uh, to pray as well. Fourth Sunday at 5 p.m. Wonderful time of prayer that we had last time. These are the highlights of, of my weeks, getting together to pray and commune with God. It's what we're made for. Uh, other things that happen here, there's the partners in prayer. Keep praying for our young people. Gather supernatural power on behalf of these young people that we would not see that 70% statistic come true for these young ones. We can't be complacent in these things. We can't think this won't happen for us. We've got to be bold in declaring God's word and, and prayerful for these kids. Praise God for those who are serving them now. And then there's Barb's prayer walks that she just mentioned. Talk to her about praying around these schools that we might see spiritual breakthrough in, in our local schools, that these kids might come to know the Lord Jesus. And finally, think of a person in your life, the person in your life, people in your life who are least likely to come to know Jesus and pray for them. I hope you got in your pew sheet a Keep Five card. It's, 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 it's the names of five people. I want to encourage you. Um, to, to, to take it. Put the names down of five people who you want to see come to know Christ and pray for them and don't give up. Devote yourselves to praying for them and see what God does. Tap into the power of prayer. Well, as we wrap up, I want, you to, I want to tell you about some of those people that I mentioned before. Uh, it was many years before my metalhead mate, Jono, um, contacted me out of the blue. He called me on the phone and he said that um, while he was like tripping out on drugs or, or, um, or alcohol or something, he had this kind of freaky vision where he felt like some demon came to try and destroy him and he cried out to God to rescue him and God rescued him. And after he sort of came to, he, he just said, I knew I had to call you uh, so, you know, to tell me about God. And I'm like, gee... <laughs> Okay, let's catch up. And, and so for the next six months, we, we, we studied the Bible together. We, 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 learned the, we went through the gospel and he gave his life to Christ. And, and, and now I've lost touch with him. I, but um, when I last heard, he would go to these heavy metal concerts now still, but to share Jesus with, with the people at the concerts. That's what happened to Jono. That's the power of prayer. And I can't say that I was incredibly faithful in praying, I forgot and I lapsed, but, but that's the power of prayer. Sarah, remember the girl, a Fijian, she was, she was uh, you know, adopted and, and abused and came to youth group and, and, then, and then she just left. Well, I, I was at the shops a few years after she left uh, youth group and I hadn't, hadn't seen her for a long time and um, I bumped into her at the shops. She, she just looked completely uh, different. Her face was radiant, she couldn't stop smiling and, and she said that she, she was a worship leader now at a church, a youth leader, uh, and, uh, and she was fully involved in her church. And after I like almost, you could knock me over with a feather, I was like, what happened? And she's like, well, 
I just happened to move in. I had to find somewhere to live. And I moved in with a bunch of Christian girls who went to this church. And they wouldn't stop telling me about Jesus. And they wouldn't stop inviting me to church. So I went along with them to church and I gave my life to Christ. Friends, that's the power of prayer. It's just wonderful. Power of prayer. Well, what about this guy, Mark, who I'd mentored? Read the Bible with him came to youth group. Well, uh, a guy that we went to Ridley with, our theological college, um, Pete Greenwood, he, he contacted me once randomly on Facebook and he said, dude, um, I, I just thought I'd let you know I'm meeting with this guy who says he knows you, um, uh, Mark, and, um, and we're meeting up to read the Bible together. Now, Melbourne is a city of about six million people. And these had absolutely no association with each other whatsoever. And they ended up meeting together to read the Bible. I'll tell you how it happened. He was playing footy. He had an injury. He needed to go to a gym to start doing exercise. So he Googled a gym and he went to his local gym. And he happened to go to what's called the Renegades Gym, which was from guys at Ridley College, which is their whole purpose, as well as being huge and they do like their jiu-jitsu stuff, um, is sharing Jesus with people. And that's their mission, is to share Jesus with people in the gym. And that's the gym that he went to. And he started reading the Bible with this guy from Ridley, and he gave his life to Christ. That's the power of prayer. Peter Adam, who was here recently um, preaching, I drove him home. And and he said, Kieran, I've I've got to tell you something. Um, My brother came to Christ... He was, he was in his late 70s and, um, uh, and he never wanted to talk about Jesus, never wanted anything to do with Jesus. But, but on his deathbed in hospital, he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's in glory because he gave his life to Christ. Friends, that's the power of prayer. Sidlow Baxter, I want to finish with this quote, says... People may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they're helpless against our prayers. Do you believe it? Amen.